Tonight's reading is taken from chapter of Genesis, and we're going from chapter 8, verse 20, to chapter 9, verse 29, and can be found on page 10 of the Church Bible. Chapter 8, starting at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and, taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth, and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has lifeblood still in it, and for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each human being too, I will demand an accounting from the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and took his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they could not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his younger son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died.
Great. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, We do keep that passage open, and um, as we think about part two of Noah in our series on uh, Genesis, the first book in the Bible, let's start with a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you um, for what you were teaching us last week uh, through those uh, chapters in Genesis. Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak to us this week. Lord, please show us what you want us to see. And Lord, we do pray that you will give us hearts which overflow with thankfulness for your mercy and for your goodness. Lord, please open our ears and our hearts this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, just, uh, just to, just to summarise a bit of what we were looking at last week, uh, we started looking at the story of Noah. And far from it being just a tale um, from thousands of years ago about an ark and the animals like the song that went in two by two, uh, actually we saw just how relevant it is to life today. In, in Genesis chapter 6, we read how God looked at the world and saw all people everywhere and they had hearts that were corrupt. They were corrupt, like like the picture of the apple on the screen. They were corrupt because all of the people on the earth had turned away from God. Not just a few, but everyone. They had all turned away. Now this makes sense because actually what the Bible teaches is not that some people are good. There were the the kind of the goodies in the world and there there are some people who are bad. There's the baddies. But actually the, the, the sobering truth of the Bible is that actually we all fall in to the bad category, whether we like it or not. We all in our hearts have been affected by that same corruption that Genesis 6 is talking about. Because we are all Adam's descendants. We all share the the family likeness. We all doubt God when we should trust him. But the only thing that we saw last week that marks Noah as being different was that he was obedient to God's saving plan. That was it. He walked with God and he trusted that God would save him, so he did what God said. Noah wasn't uh, a spectacularly uh, good individual. We see that later on in this passage. But he was someone who listened to God and trusted his plan to keep him safe. And as Stephen said last week, we had this, this picture of the, of the ark as an image of God's salvation. God's mercy shown through the judgment And that's why the story of Noah is relevant. Because actually it takes us straight to the cross. The biggest picture of God's mercy poured out while someone was judged in our place. Jesus Christ. So like Noah had an ark made of wood, we can say as well as Christians, people who follow Jesus, that our ark is Jesus Christ. He is the one who we find refuge in when the judgment comes. And at the end of last week's passage, we saw how Noah and all the animals are brought safely through the floods and come back out of the ark into this new world. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, this new world of new beginnings. So what is Noah's new world, this new beginning like? Well, look down um, at page 10, uh, chapter 8 and uh, verse 21. Look at the middle bit of what God says. God says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. 
in this new world that, that Noah has entered, this new beginning, God says from the very beginning, there is still going to be evil. You see, the flood may have wiped away the consequences of human evil, of human evil activity, but the one thing it didn't do was to treat the very cause of it, to treat the cause of the evil. So we've got to say as dramatic as a flood of the whole earth wiping away humanity except for Noah and those with him, as dramatic and great as that was, we've got to say actually it wasn't great enough, was it? Because evil after the flood is still there. Not that God got it wrong. Let me make that clear. Not that God got it wrong. But what he's doing here is showing us is that if evil is to, to, to be wiped away, then something even greater than flooding the whole earth has got to happen. Because wherever humans are found, evil is going to be found too. Even if you took a spaceship to, to the most distant planet in the, the whole universe and, and set up your whole new community... It would only be a matter of time until evil shows its head. Because as we read, evil comes from the heart. You can't escape it by by running away or by flying away. This passage also adds something to what we saw last week. It says that actually, not only do we all have this problem, but actually we've all had this problem from birth. What God is talking about in this passage is what we call the doctrine of original sin. The idea that when people come into this world, actually we do it as people who are born with a defect. We are born with a defect as to how we approach God. We don't instinctively love and obey him. But actually as we grow up, it becomes more and more obvious that quite the opposite is true. This is why we know from the start that, that Noah's new world, this new beginning, is still going to be fraught with, with the same old problems that we saw last week. And while this passage tells us about the new beginning that Noah and his family are going to experience as they step off the ark, actually it does something else. It points us to a far greater new beginning. And we're going to get there. So we're going to look at three things as, as we understand this passage. Sorry, that intro went on for a bit. Um, but we'll look at three things. We're going to think about uh, as new beginnings. We're going to think about the need we have for a new beginning. We're going to think about the promise God gives us for a new beginning. And we're going to think about the cost of getting a new beginning. So we know where we're going. Firstly then, the need for a new beginning. If you flip over to chapter 9 and look down at verse 3, uh, this is what God says. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So just like God instructed Adam and Eve back in the early chapters of Genesis about what the fruit they could eat and and the, the one fruit that they couldn't eat in the garden, so actually God does the same with Noah. He's, he's repeating this cycle again. But actually now this seems expanded to include meat which is really good news for me. But listen, there's something else going on here as well. Look at verse 4. God says, but you must not eat the meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Now, what's going on here? I mean, it almost sounds like God is saying, okay, Noah, now that I've expanded the menu, next time you go out uh, to the restaurant with Mrs. Noah, don't order your steak too rare. 
You know, that's what it sounds like. But actually, what, what God is getting at is something far greater than just how we cook our food. Actually, what he is talking about here is the sanctity of life. The sanctity of life. Look down at chapter 9, verse 6. God says, Whoever sheds human blood, by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Now we don't, we don't have to have a PhD to know that blood is vital for life. If all the blood is taken out of an animal or out of a human being, they die, there is no life left. But why is God saying this? Straight away after the flood, because sin and evil is still present in our hearts, because we've still got that, that heart corruption, God knows that violence will still exist. God we won't be surprised when someone murders someone in this new beginning. You see, it's only a matter of time because sin is still there. God knows that people will still commit murder, even after all he's done, even after his great rescue. And we all intrinsically know that killing someone is wrong. I mean, we we get taught that from a young age, but I wonder if you've ever really thought about why this is so bad. It's because you are destroying something made in the image of God. That is why God says killing is so bad. You are destroying something made in the image of God. It doesn't matter if it was someone who is 16 years old who was killed. It doesn't matter if it is someone who is 16 weeks old and who is still in the womb. It doesn't matter if it was someone who is 116 years old and has dementia. It is still taking the life of someone who belongs to God and is made in his image. Now I realise that this is a counter-cultural claim to make because actually I think we live in a world that is kind of desensitised to killing. We, we tend not to even use the language of, of killing or, or death or murder. And I think, think this comes at us from a variety of sources and one of them, um, which, which, uh, which can be quite obvious maybe, is through even computer games. I was reading this week that, that one computer gamer um, was interviewed recently And he estimated that by the time he was 18, so just becoming an adult, by the time he was 18, he had killed on a computer screen over 100,000 people in games by the time he was 18. I wonder, what does that tell us about how okay we are with with killing if an 18-year-old thinks he's killed one-tenth of a million people on a computer screen by the time he's 18? The painful truth is, even after this new beginning, murder and violence will still exist. But that's not all. You see, we also see that there will be relational breakdown. And we'll get on to this curious bit towards the end of chapter 9. So we look down at verses uh, 20 to 22 in chapter 9. This is talking about uh, after Noah has come off the ark. It says, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Now, last week I told you that Noah wasn't saved because he was a good person. And uh, I'm really grateful that we have this in our Bibles to show that that is true. You see, after the flood, Noah gets to work. He was obviously um, you know, used to, to, to digging and, and, and agriculture, and he gets back to the work he's known. But it's not long until we see that corruption in his heart begin to show. You see, here we have Noah, the, the hero of our story. The hero 
Noah, who has fallen asleep, naked and drunk. I mean, it's, I mean, it's frankly embarrassing, isn't it? You're, you're reading this about the person who, who's just done this wonderful thing, he's been so obedient to God, and there he is lying in his tent, naked and drunk. You see, Noah, just like everyone else, both then and today, had a heart problem. It was corrupt. But that's not all. You see, not only is Noah, as the leader of his family, clearly showing that he is not worthy of respect by how he's acting, but at the same time, his his youngest son is actually treating him shamefully by pointing out his nakedness. Now, I I think if we come from a sort of a, a Western mindset, we read this and think, kind of what's going on here it's not immediately apparent to us but but I would I'd hazard a guess that for most people in the world who come from what we call a shame or honor culture where where the where the the virtue of honor is is held in esteem and it's a terrible thing to be in shame actually I think they would probably uh, glimpse what's going on here you see, to uncover your father's nakedness or to boast about it or to joke about it in some way is actually to bring shame upon your family with what Ham, Noah's youngest son, is doing here, going out and gossiping behind his father's back to his brothers. You see, what we've got here already is the seeds of family breakdown in this new beginning, which is why Noah seems so harsh when he rebukes his son and curses him. Look at chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. It says, When Noah awoke from his wine and found out that his, what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. In this new beginning, we have already heard of a future with violence in it, and now we see breakdown of the family unit as well. Something that many of us will be all too familiar with. Father pitted against son. And there's one more thing that we see. Look at the end of of verse 29. Noah lived a total of 950 years and then he died. Despite everything that Noah did, at the end of the day, he died. Yet he'd been saved through the flood. He'd been brought out into this new world. He'd kind of started afresh. But one day he died. You see, this new beginning that Noah is in is still not like the one we had back in Eden. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, a place that is free from murder, a place that is free from relationship breakdown, a place that is free from death. So then we see here that there is still a need for another new beginning, a better new beginning, something that the flood couldn't do, something more thorough and complete. And it all comes down to what God will promise to do. What God will promise to do. Throughout this passage we see time and time again God making different promises. Not only to Noah and to his family, but also to the animals of the earth and to future generations. Have a look with me back at the beginning at chapter 8 and the end of verse 21. God says, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. God promises, God promises that despite the fact that our corruption spreads to the whole world like it did before, like it will again, he will not flood it. He will not flood it again and wipe away all humanity. He will not allow that to happen. 
He says the seasons will continue. Food will continue to grow. Life will carry on. That doesn't mean that localised disasters won't happen. We know they do. We only have to turn on the news and look at what's happening in Texas at the moment to see that localised disasters still happen. But it does mean that the whole of humanity will not be wiped off the face of the earth. Whether that's nuclear war or whether that's climate change, it doesn't mean we shouldn't care or do stuff about those things. We just know that they won't bring about the end of all human life. I think so much anxiety of the last century, of the 20th century, was spent worrying, is this it? Is this the end of humanity? Well, God says, whatever it is you're fearing, it will not be. It will not be the end, whatever happens. God's image bearers, his people will continue to live on the earth. That sounds great. That sounds, if that's something that, that you worry about, that's a great truth to hold on to, but how can we know it's for sure? We'll look at chapter 9, verses 8 to 10. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. Now as the word there, and it, and it popped up again um, elsewhere in the reading, covenant. Now you might be new to, to, to BH, you might be new to church and wondering what, what a covenant is, so I'm just going to go over it briefly. A covenant is a bit like a contract. It's a bit like a contract, but not as we know it. We don't often deal with, with covenants in day-to-day life. But we live in a world where, where contracts can be made, they can be broken, whether in business or, or however. But a covenant is something greater. A covenant is something greater. You see, a covenant cannot be broken like that. This is why it's important that God is talking about a covenant for his promise, not just a, a, a contract. You see, it is something, a commitment by God to stand by his own word even when the other person doesn't keep up to their end of the bargain. That is why covenant is good news. And it's exactly what you have in a marriage service. If two people are standing up here and there, they're in the marriage service, they will say promises to each other that point to a covenant relationship. They say, I promise to love you in sickness and in health, for better and for worse, until death Do us part. You see, that is not a contract. People treat marriage like a contract, but it isn't. It is a covenant. And it's a covenant because it points us to the relationship that we have with God, which is also a covenant. A covenant that God enters with his people. Except unlike us, he can be trusted to perfectly keep his promises. And we don't only get a covenant here in in Genesis 8 and 9, but actually we get it all throughout the Bible on on several different occasions. We get it with some other notable characters, with Abraham and with Moses and with David. And finally, the covenant of all covenants through Jesus. The new covenant. This, This firm promise of a new beginning through Jesus that all Christians are part of, built on God's firm promises. And God chooses to mark this first covenant with Noah in a very particular and a very surprising way. Look at chapter 9, verses 12, 13. 
And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God is saying, so that you and I may remember that I will keep my promise, you only have to look into the sky. You only have to look into the sky. I have set my rainbow, I have set my bow in the clouds. You see, before the rainbow was used as a symbol for gay pride, God was using it as a symbol of his covenant promise that he would not judge the earth by flooding it again. But that's not all what it means. It's not just a sign of God's promise. You see, the word that God uses for for rainbow here is actually the same word as for an archer's bow. Oh, you can imagine why you can see in the picture, it kind of looks like an archer's bow curved round. It's the same sort of shape. But what God is saying here firstly is that he's hung it up. He has hung it up. It is no longer pointing down towards the earth, ready to strike down and judge a corrupt world. He's rested it. But also something else is happening. Rather, look at which direction the bow is pointing in. It's not facing downwards towards the earth. It's facing upwards. Upwards where? Towards God. Towards heaven. Do you see this? What God is saying is that if there is to be a new beginning, one without murder, one without relational breakdown, one without death, it's not because judgment won't happen, but rather that God will allow the judgment to fall on himself. He will personally pay the cost of this perfect new beginning, one that deals with the evil in our hearts once and for all. Let's go back to the beginning of the passage read as we, as we finish up. Chapter 8, verses uh, 20 into 21. This is right at the beginning after Noah's come off the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Once Noah comes out of the ark, one of the first things he does is to erect an altar to offer sacrifices to God. Now first off, this is so he can do a sacrifice, an offering of thanksgiving. That is how he would understood worship. And you can imagine the, the joy of having been on the ark for all those days, coming out into safety, getting your feet back on dry land, all because God had a plan to save you. And you are thankful. You are thankful to God for saving you. So Noah gives up something he values as a way to say thank you to God. He sacrifices an animal. And we read here that it pleases God. But as we read on through, through the rest of the Bible, we see the importance of sacrifice growing and growing. And what we see is how necessary sacrifice is, is ensuring the safety of God's people, how important sacrifice is. You see, each time someone sins or breaks God's commands in the Old Testament, a sacrifice must be made. Firstly, to show how serious it is to break God's commands, but secondly, to show that there is a way to deal with the guilt of breaking those commands. There is a way to be forgiven. You see, as long as man's hearts remain evil, 
There will be a need for sacrifice. There will. And this is how we get our new beginning. Because of sacrifice. You see, thousands of years after Noah got off the ark, there would be another time of great judgment. Where one person would be obedient to God's plan when no one else in the world would be. One person who would bring about the perfect new beginning. But the only way that would happen would be by that very person being sacrificed for us. This is Jesus. He is our ark. He is our saving plan. He is our safety. He is our security. The New Testament tells us that through him, through Jesus, God was to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. There's the blood again. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that deals with our hearts. He deals with our sin and guilt and he brings us through the judgment into a perfect new beginning. You see, there still remains one more judgment to come. There still remains one more judgment to come. And like Noah did, there are two ways for each of us to face it. Way one is we do it outside of the ark, on our own, and we'll try our best and see what happens. But the other way is inside the ark, with Jesus. If you follow Jesus, the good news is he has decided to be judged in your place. You don't need to fear that day of judgment. And if that is you, whether that's been you for a week or that's been you for for all your life, then like Noah, you should want to give thanks to God. You should want to offer a sacrifice. You should want to live your, your life in the knowledge that you have been saved by Jesus, our ark. And maybe God is prompting you to think about what ways you might be able to serve him. And serve his church for that purpose. Out of that thankfulness that he has saved you. That Jesus is your ark. Maybe new ways, maybe practical ways. Through, through prayer or through evangelism. Or, or getting involved with children's work or whatever it is. Whatever God is laying on your heart. But if you are not, let you, if you are not yet looking to Jesus. To keep you safe through that final judgment. Why not? I mean, what else are you waiting for? There will reach a point, as we saw last week, where the door will be closed. God will shut the door on the ark. So please, pray with me that we would enter that new beginning together through trusting in Jesus' sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks that salvation was your idea and that through Jesus we have such a perfect hope in in what you have done to, to bring us safely through that judgment. Father, if that, if that is us, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be more thankful and that we would show that in our lives. We would be sacrificial with our money, with our time, with our activities.
But Lord, maybe this is all new to us. And if that is true, Lord, help us to put our trust, maybe for the first time, in Jesus. We want him to be our ark. We want to to, to go to that, that, that new beginning, that new world where there isn't death, where there isn't killing, where there isn't relational breakdown, but where there is life with you forever in all perfection. Amen.